This is a trigger warning from the legal department. Just reminding you that this shit is pretty heavy. And that's okay. Take a deep breath. Don't forget to hydrate. Wash your fucking hands. Greetings, humans. Welcome back for another installment of the Revenue Reel Hotline. I'm delighted that you decided to join us for this stellar conversation with the great Jeff Risley, founder of the Sales Health Alliance. Today, we mostly talk about mental health, and we get into how important it is to put the work in while times are good. And we talk about stoicism's um, developing of our inner citadels and the importance of of crowdsourcing ideas and asking for help. We get into relapses and establishing routines. We talk about separating our expectations around business growth, right, up and to the right, and what that personal growth trajectory generally looks like. Two steps forward, one step back, which is absolutely the case. We talk about sharing stories in the workplace and the vulnerability paradox. We go deep into leadership's role and responsibility with cultivating more um, wellness and psychological safety on sales floors and a bunch of other cool shit. I forgot to ask Jeff at the end where we can find him. Uh, Knowing Jeff, he would say like he's all over LinkedIn and is one of those people you're absolutely going to want to follow. And he can also be found over at the Sales Health Alliance, which will be linked in the show notes. For anybody that has any thoughts, questions, comments about the conversation, by all means, hit us up on the hotline at 646-470-0248. That's 646-470-0248. I'm Amy Rahovchek. This is the Revenue Real Hotline, and enjoy. Jeff Risley, welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline, friend. We're we're obviously just gonna dive right in after you. We're so patient and kind while I, you know, try to find my headphones and uh, you know just kick the can on what the frig is wrong with my computer camera right now. But anyway, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome to the show. Yeah, happy happy to be here. I'm super excited. It's um, I love kind of the concept around having uncomfortable dis- conversations and just leaning into vulnerability and openness. So yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> Famous last words. Let's let's. Okay, so here's. Have you listened to any of these episodes? Have, do you know what you've gotten yourself involved in? To be honest, not not entirely. No, just from okay. our conversations, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm brand new to this, so Excellent. we'll, uh, we'll oh gosh, see how this, this goes. Is, this is amazing. Amazing. Okay, so I do a little blurb at the beginning. So let's just assume everybody's got, um, you know, the basics of who you are and our context, right? Mm-hmm. Our, our friendship. I'm at least I consider you a friend, so I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna course. force that on you. You're my friend publicly, okay, Jeff Risley. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Um, okay, the the or the uh, target audience is our people, the experienced tech seller. The theme of the show, conversations about uncomfortable conversations and sales. Mm-hmm. The only rule is that there are no rules, except for, you know, we get re- we get real on the show. And so judgment-free zone, 
mistake friendly zone, tangent friendly zone. Cool. Okay. Normally I write down a bunch of things that I like would consider topics to banter around ahead of time, but I, I didn't do that today. As you know, I'm trying to check off things so I can, you know, just be done right after this and go have a wellness time on the water. Um, but that said, like I, let's talk it, let's do it almost from our like starting and scaling businesses, how to make decisions, all the feelings that go with that. Mm-hmm. Another one that I think of is when you were helping me unravel what it is to break free from the benzos to mm. sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of our, you know, friendship and bantering behind the scenes around sales health Alliance and, um, you know, some of those decisions, including like all the doubt and fear and like uncertainty that everyone feels when stepping out and doing something alone. And so like I, that, that conversation comes to mind and I think would be interesting and valuable to others. Um, and then there was uh, the data, the mental health data, hmm. uh, it, and other other things. So those are the three for me. But yeah. what about what would your three be? Yeah, like I think I think those are all kind of good ones. Like happy to kind of do like again. I'm an open book. I don't mind talking about openly about kind of like the benzo stuff. I don't mind talking about kind of the doubt of starting starting a company or anything like that. Like I think those those are really great ones that could resonate with people. Um, yeah, like it's it's hard because I've been doing it so much now that I feel like I'm pretty comfortable talking about a lot of things, but I'm trying to think of like, what is the most challenging things that stressors or kind of things that people are having to deal with right now in their own day to day. And. All right. Yeah. Let's yeah. Okay. I like this one because it, it suggests that this idea of going back to work and like all the, you know, the hybrid and the trust factors that are impacted. Okay. But that said, like I, Sorry to interrupt, but let's do it like that. Like, what is the, what is the biggest, most uncomfortable thing that's on your mind right now, personally, like, and with the business, and then we'll, we'll bring it, we'll flip it to those that are, you know, actually, you know, working in a a company or on a team and, you know, have, have different things to worry about, but starting with you. Yeah. Like, I think kind of the biggest thing for me is, is sort of companies defaulting back to bad habits that they were doing before the pandemic. So I think kind of for me, at least like the pandemic really gave my business new life. It was, it was like a very challenging time getting started, but I think when the second wave hit back in sort of October, it was organizations really started to realize that the mental health conversation needed to be prioritized and they couldn't make it through the winter months without starting these conversations and looking at ways to equip their teams with better mental health and resilient strategies and creating more vulnerability in a remote working environment. But I'm curious to see, like we're kind of starting to come out of this, this sort of really difficult time that we've experienced as a society, which is really exciting to see and we're racing to get back to normal. And I think kind of like one of the things that, the uncertainty or the bit of self-doubt in my mind is it's, well, did, did we learn anything from this situation and from this global pandemic that's actually going to change things permanently going forward? All of the progress that we made around talking about mental health, are we going to just forget about that when we go back to the office and try to go back to old habits of ignoring it or sweeping it under the rug? Because I, I'm concerned. I see this happening. I had a call with the client the other day and 
Um, he's saying they've had a really great office culture before the pandemic. They're they're having a really great office culture as people are coming back to the office, which is really exciting to see. And people are happy. They're feeling connected. Like those needs, those needs that have been unfulfilled for a very long time, have been are starting to get met again, which is amazing. But it doesn't mean that the burnout, the fatigue, the stressors, the challenges that everyone is going through, they don't magically disappear. And there's definitely an adjustment process going back to going back to work and working in an office. And he he's one of those forward thinking leaders who sees this. He's like, I'm concerned that, you know, maybe, you know, first month or two or first quarter, it's going to be happy go lucky. We're connected again. This is so exciting. But then once that normal starts to set back in, are we going to go back and revisit sort of these tough conversations and continue to support each other's mental health? Or are we going to back go back to like nothing ever happened? Hmm. I wonder if starting a podcast around uncomfortable conversations to practice deep practice around how to have conversations so that we can, you know, at least start to understand one another. I wonder if that's, if we're on the same wavelength. Okay. Um, wow. You said a bunch of shit. That was so interesting. And include, so starting with how, when you said that you, the second half of the year, COVID year, you know, obviously the business being ahead of the curve and also, you, you know, the only one, right? You were, this is how we came to be. You were the only one sales health alliance that had any data about the, the sales and this, the current state. And so I'm reminded though about something that Mercy said during her episode, episode five, Mercy Lee Bell manifests magnificence at scale. And she said that all of the friends that she had made during on her recovery journey, right? So I think for Mercy, it was, um, you know, alcohol and she's five years sober. She, they, like the way that she described it was that she, if everyone that had the tools after going through a, an experience like that and starting to, you know, and then come out on the other side did like blossomed, I think was her exact word blossomed during COVID year. And everyone that had not ever, you know, seen a, a therapist or, you know, started to figure out how to get present and understand the nature of their feelings and define them. And so those were the humans that really, really, really suffered um, more last year or during COVID year then. And so I'd, I don't know if that was exactly what you were trying to convey. I think there, it was half and half, right? Your ability to handle it yourself, as well as being ahead of the curve with a business model that, um, it's, I don't it's, know, made it really special, but so that was a thing, but I, and I'm also one, one thing, and then I'm, I'll, you can decide which one you want to run with. But when I've been thinking a ton about the entering back into the workforce, as, as you know, like I've pinged mm. you, or I've mentioned stuff on, on post for you too, but I think Andy Paul, he's got, he talks, he's been talking about this a lot. And he said that the early data that's coming back right now from returning to work and the relationships that are most in jeopardy in this new normal, right? So for any leaders that are listening or sales bosses, like the old normal wasn't working for most of us and nobody wants to go back to any kind of existence where we all know that it's not working for us. And I mean, I can point at, I think it was Basecamp and, you know, half of the employees, right, wanting to walk 
away and took a severance package because the new normal over there wouldn't let them talk about um, race and gender and inclusion issues at work inside work mm -hmm. platforms. I can point at 25% of, of humans that are actually saying and responding to surveys, I'm gonna leave my job if we're not allowed to do any kind of hybrid. That's how deep and raw it wasn't working. So let's 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 start to have some conversations about what 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 could possibly work and if at the very least like start to experiment with different things. But let's the only thing we know for sure is that the old way wasn't working. Okay, Jeff. So between that, like what would you what which one would you want to banter or you know, respond to? Like I think going going to your point, like yeah, I think the like that's the thing about resilience and mental health is it's is it's really critical that you put in, you put in the work before something really terrible happens. Like you put in the work, you learn the strategies, you kind of do the things before global pandemic hits, whether it's, you know, go to see a therapist, whether mm -hmm. it's medication, whether it's self-care strategies, whether it's, you know, understanding your, the neuroscience, the physiology behind stress and mental health and how you use it to your advantage. Like that's, I know you and I are both, you know, like the stoic mentality and I can't remember the exact term but I, Ryan Holiday talks about how it's like a the internal citadel or something yeah the inner citadel yeah the yeah. inner citadel which I think is a really good concept of you build that before things get crazy and things get rough and those that have you know put the work in and do it on a daily basis and put the practice in like that citadel is going to be pivotal when those unforeseen challenging situations arise and that was definitely apparent I think for my social network or, or or the people that i'm close to the people that not one we're fortunate to have like a very good so like community connected to them but also that we're doing the basic things that you need to do to take care of mental health they kind of navigated the stressors a little a little better than most so that's for sure something i think sort of what i was talking about from a business standpoint is yeah i think i think i was just my the the business back in september i had like i was losing hope I know you and I talked about this, like I was at like the end of my ropes and I was like, I don't have a lot of hope that this mental health conversation is going to take place. And then I got a lot of hope as organizations really started to open up between October of last year to, to now. And it's kind of like fear of losing that hope that, you know, organizations might be like, well, we don't need to talk about mental health anymore is sort of where I was going. It's like, mm -hmm. I hope that that sort of shared compassion, that willingness to talk about mental health continues going forward. And that uncertainty makes me a little anxious on a, day, on, on a regular basis if that hope gets lost. Um, so yeah, and, and, and again, in terms of like going back to work, back to work is, is going to be very, very difficult for a lot of people. And the way I kind of explain this to people and talk about it is if you think about the shift to working from home we were going through these really this really intense change in our lives and we were navigating difficult situations and emotions like loneliness anger frustration uncertainty all these things we we're going through in the comfort of our own home potentially surrounded by people that we care about who would are no, comfortable with us laughing and crying and getting angry or whatever we're dealing with and now you have if you're lucky if you're lucky for sure but now we have masses of people who have been onboarded remotely who have never met their colleagues other than through a screen or through a slack channel who are now all going to have to essentially a big group of strangers is going to have to get together and navigate this really uncomfortable change going back to work 
where there's going to be difficult emotions like frustration and a learning process to understand, you know, how do I actually be social and normalize with people or even just like have the energy to socialize with people on an ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. And the going back to that inner citadel, the organizations that haven't put the work in over the last eight months, they're going to struggle trying to figure out ways to have, you know, kind of build that connection support these difficult conversations and difficult emotions in the office. Yeah. And the framework to do so. And, you know, it's funny, I'm chuckling to myself. I don't even know if I finished the thought about the Andy Paul, but the real, did I, the relationships that were, are going to be impacted says the early data are the peers. It's not the manager to employee. It's the peer to peer stuff. And specifically around like the hybrid. So who's choosing to come into the office and who's not. And like, you know, who's whatever. And so I, I haven't done enough research to speak to this competently yet, but that, that, that surprised me and surprises me. And it also concerns me greatly for our, our people, because, you know, if you think about the five areas where sales people could possibly learn, this is something that Andy Paul tossed out in a, in a poll, God, like the beginning of last year that, it's like, it was a question, like, where did you learn the most from your manager, from like organized training um, or traditional sales training uh, company sanctioned your, the clients from yourself, like self-taught and then peers. And I realized, yeah, so peers was a big one for me. And so the idea that that peer to peer relationship is, is it jeopardy? Like that's the, that's the part that kind of keeps me up at night. And it's interesting, Jeff, because when I just, when I asked you at the beginning of this conversation, like on a personal note, like, what are you thinking about right now? What are you concerned about? And it wasn't for yourself. Like you are, you, you expressed being concerned for the, the, the people. And mm -hmm. I think that's a, a demonstrable thing that I heard because I know that your inner citadel is on lockdown, you know, so it's almost like your cup is full. You've got, and now though, you know, there's a taxing nature of, you know, feeling a sense of responsibility or sadness, I guess you could say, depending on how you look at it. Uh, and I'm speaking to myself when I say this and, you know, just taking off the superhero cape and, oh my gosh, when you were saying that you were expressing doubt, last year about the business. Like, I think I want to, it's very important to rely on friends or outside perspectives in some situations like that, especially business, or at least I found, because when we're so close to something, it's harder to see certain things. Like, do you remember what we talked about when I was like, it was, you're trying to do both things. You got to pick one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I think I think you're right. Like it's 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 always challenging to ensure that you're showing up each each day with a with a, a a widened perspective because it's very easy to lose perspective. It's the first thing that changes. You know, one of the first things that changes when we start to get stressed and become anxious, we become hyper focused on the threats and we lose our ability to think logically and creatively yeah hyper vigilance miserable state go, of being we, we we go on guard and it's very hard to think logically and rationally in those situations so yeah you're, you're totally right like i think that's what's really important from like a, a social support system and network is having that kind of those conversations with others that aren't as close to the situation that can give you 
some more perspective or help you regain perspective on 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 the business and on the topics like it's it's extremely important to not only your mental health but also being able to find that solution that's right in front of you but you just simply can't see it the one thing that i will say about kind of the the sales health alliance and sort of the challenges that i was facing is it's it, it it's still so new in the sense that there's not a lot of at least that I, that i can see there's still not a lot of organizations talking about kind of mental health and sales or or, or or organizations like sales health alliance that are actively working on this so it's hard because there's it's not like we're you know trying to solve a problem with a sales consulting business where there's sort of thousands if not millions of companies that have come before and there's all sorts of best practices and lessons learned like myself and my kind of the social network and the people that I talk to on a regular basis like we're all kind of just figuring it out together because we're kind of right on the forefront of what does mental health in the workplace mean specifically within sales so it's weird it's like a group learning process it's a lot of kind of uh crowdsourcing ideas crowdsourcing solutions crowdsourcing data and data points to kind of paint a picture of what this is i think that's what i really like about it as well it's like it's it, it requires a lot of help from others and to to kind of but everyone's kind of rallying around this topic because we all all feel it we all understand that mental health isn't just applies to one person applies to all of us on a daily basis just to varying degrees yeah when when we talk about default brains right and building up the the muscles like you were talking about those that had have experiences with recovery or any kind of mental health whatever we have those skills mm -hmm. it's like i'm i equate it to um stephen covey's urgency quadrant do you know which one i'm talking about it's like important unimportant urgent yeah, not yeah, urgent yeah, yeah. Yeah. and you always want to operate in like important not urgent but mm. when you're when you're functioning in in urgent and important right that it's that's a that's a bad quadrant or a, a square to be in and so it's always good to kind of you know take care of things before they become urgent and then very like critical mission critical and so there's that and then the other is that most people, when we talk about or think about routines mm -hmm. or the importance of routines, especially in, in the face of like default brains, which is my word for those that have not worked on their, their mental health, right. At all, or their mentals at all. Right. We all mm -hmm. have default brains. It's her, it's, <laughs> it's referred to as like cave brain brains. Or when you talk, when you hear people referring to how back in the day, like, you know, we were designed to stay alive, right? And so if we see a lion, like the adrenaline kicks in, whatever, and we run, that that brain still resides in all of us. And so every single one of us, and this is a lifelong effort, right? To start to change thinking patterns. You either have started to do the work and continue to do the work, or you still have a default brain. And it's very easy to, to understand and know the difference. Um, but when, what is, what is commonly, I don't want to say misconstrued, just not referenced enough about the fucking rock star power of routines is that we all messed up. We all relapse. We all veer off path, which is if for anyone that has been in recovery, like when you're coming out of that for the first time, like that was my biggest fear, at least in my experience, I was, I was very afraid of relapsing. And then you know, you, you have to kind of work through that. But what the, what I learned with routines mm. is that they provide 
a safe and clear path to get back on track when we do veer off. And so the amount of like comfort that that kind of brought to me, not only did I no longer fear relapse, but I understood routines in a completely different and new way um, as well. And so with that, out of all those things, like pick wherever you want to go next. There's a, there's a lot to kind of unpack there. I think sort of the first piece around things like relapse and things just like with personal growth in general. And I think it's one of the biggest things that mindset shifts that I've made to kind of help with that is just, you know, not equating personal growth to business growth and every single chart and every single presentation we see is always showing these like really nice graphs, every kind of company kickoff, every kind of whatever you, you see, it's always, here's how much we've grown year over year, year over year. And it's like, if there's any kind of dip in that kind of growth or like business goes and freaks out, like panic, what, what's going on? Like, who do you need to fire? What do we need to change? Like, we're going to lose all of our money. It's like total psychotic reactions, but that, from like a societal level has really started to impact what we think of personal growth as. And we expect that when we're coming back from trauma, like recovering from trauma or dealing with a difficult situation, anything on, on a varying degree of a spectrum of things that you can kind of face on a regular basis, like personal growth feels like two steps forward, one step down, three steps back, four steps up, seven steps forward. It's like this really wild uncomfortable loop-de-loop -loop up into the right and i think what you talk you're talking about in terms of routine and having a plan if you have a good routine if you have a good plan that you can stick to it will help you at least trend in the right direction trend towards growth as opposed to be getting be getting stuck and trapped in this really uncomfortable downward spiral like you're you're right like having a routine and having a plan is a really effective way to provide certainty and help yourself become more compassionate on days when these things are starting to take place. So I totally feel you on that one. That's, that's huge. Um, I think the other thing I would say is like a big part of my routine that's really helped, especially with talking about and building on top of the sort of the social network and sort of our having that strong support system. For me, reading, reading every day has just been huge. It's like my, on my to-do list every single day, it's read at least 10 pages. And I do it every single morning. It's one of the first things I do as part of my startup routine and my self-care routine, because it allows me to consistently bring in new information every single day, new ideas, new thoughts, different ways to regain perspective and think about difficult problems. And it's just so sad that call an organization of a thousand people if you had just built like a habit for that entire organization where you gave you said every single day people i want you to read 10 minutes of a self-development book before we start every single day what would that do to an organization's performance and our selling you, time jeff like man, we can't take the reps that's out of what the, I yeah, their mean. selling time we can't and we're not going to allocate growth as a human being or even and not be able to just, see that as performance growth as a part of like, this should be a part of the hours in the work it's day. It's just like psychotic. And if you had a thousand people bringing in new ideas every single day, rather than relying on a training manager or an enablement person to do all of that, like that's how you're thinking about growth and performance. Like you're thinking about it from an exponential standpoint and you're looking at your 
your base as a collection of humans that want to learn, that want to grow and want to use learning get better. And you really just need to empower them. It's not that hard to do. It's, you just have to stop being so focused on these outcomes that mean nothing and start focusing on improving how people are performing each day and getting them more engaged with work. So they're intrinsically motivated. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to like caveat to that. Like the in sales, right? This is a performance business. As we know, there's outcomes, that revenue, that is important. However, the frame that performance coaching versus, um, oh God, have you read the coaching habit? What is his word for it? Um, performance coaching and then I can see the book. It's right over there. I'm going to grab it in a second, but they're not mutually exclusive. When we focus on the human, the human being getting better, a little bit better than they were yesterday, the revenue fucking comes to. And so, but it's like, I'm reminded though, when you shared this, that the, the problem, at least from where I'm sitting is that we don't know what the fucking real problem is. And I've, there's a HBR's new book, one of their new books, it's called What's Your Problem? And this really supports and reinforces what I, I learned and now see on, even on the process design side of things, the first three phases of process projects, new or improved process projects are about really honing in on and confirming what the actual problem is so that when we do start to look for solutions or test and experiment with different solutions that we're actually addressing the real problem instead of putting band-aid after band-aid after band-aid. I wish you listened to the mercy episode because I listened to all those take care stories. And I kept like an audio journal about like how I listened to this. Mm. And one of the takeaways, Jeff, that I went after listening to all these stories, I I've never had any real experience with grief or loss, truly, maybe a little bit, but I, or uh, chronic illness. However, what hit me square in the face, story after story after story, is that regardless of the journey or the messiness, right, which is the purpose of take care, right, normalize the messy, um, make it less about guru-y, like, oh my God, I figured everything fucking out, just do this, like, like okay. I think that there's something to sharing and storytelling and facilitation. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I'm still like unraveling a facilitation as a possible way to help ease some of the tension for um, people right now. Yeah, like I think I think the conversation about the, the conversation about how you have conversations is apologies about the dump truck outside my place it's having having a time <laughs> oh my but, god I'm like uh, you know what i don't want to have a conversation with you anymore like fucking dump truck, <laughs> get out of here that's it goodbye <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah i think like one of the things i sort of talk about where this kind of shared stories aspect that you're talking about becomes really important is this idea around there being like a vulnerability paradox that exists within sales teams and within leaders and and, and that sort of manager rep relationship where managers are approaching kind of the mental health conversation or approaching work the, 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 the relationships with their team, just being like, I expect people to trust, I expect people to trust me. Like you, like I'm going to have this conversation and just they're going to start the conversation on mental health and just expect people to open up. Like, Hey, we're here to talk about mental health. Like you go first, you tell me what's going on. 
And it doesn't work like that. Like there's a vulnerability paradox where they know they want their team needs to be vulnerable so that they can, that leader can learn to kind of help and support them, but they don't want to go first. The only way you break that paradox is you have to go first as a leader. You have to connect, you have to be open. You have to share experiences within sales that impacted your own mental health. I think we have this, the, a lot of leaders operate from this perspective where a rep loses a really massive deal for massive big deal, for example, at the three days before the end of the quarter. And their, their natural approach is to go into problem solving mode and start suggesting solutions of what Your to do next. advice monster takes Advi over. <laughs> advice monster takes over when in reality, what they should be doing, it's a perfect time to use a story. It's to say, hey, like I noticed that massive deal blew out. Like that's happened to me a, a couple times in my career. This is an example of what happened to me, get really personal. How did it make you feel as a leader? What are some of the strategies you use? But ultimately like, what were you feeling? Like, how did you navigate the situation? Like let the rep know that you've been there and that you get it and then sit with the rep and ask them, hey, like, what do you need right now? Do you want me to listen or do you want me to provide advice? Or if you're totally fine, that's cool too. And just like, just, just so you know, like I'm here if you ever want to talk about a stressful situation in the future. And it's in these micro moments where the more leaders are willing to be vulnerable, to open up, to share their experience, experiences, the more they're creating the safe space where they're making themselves more approachable to have vulnerable conversations and really starts to break down that vulnerability paradox, which is really hindering sort of peak performance in a supportive environment for teams. Uh that I think that may be the understatement of the century, maybe not the century, but I'll give you the <laughs> understatement of the month right there. <laughs> um, I'll take it. I'll take you know, it. It's, so the, it like uh, Jordana Zeldin mm -hmm. was deep into this on, on her episode about psychological safety and shares like context about whatever, being at a place and the new leader came in and how everything shifted and what he did like step-by-step. Step. And then when he left, like, that I think that you should listen to that one too. That would be interesting. But anyway, so what's funny to me? Oh, well, first of all, I differentiate between sales leaders and sales bosses. Mm -hmm. So there's that, just different words. Um, but Q Alanis Morissette <laughs> is that when you get really good at discovery, right? This idea of vulnerability, not just how to be vulnerable in conversations, but be vulnerable fucking first. And you figured it out. Like, it's very obvious that your air quotes leader, which by the way, then becomes a sales boss, because as John Maxwell says, positional leadership is the lowest form using your authority as a parent, as a teacher, as a cop, as a boss and say, do this or else you get fired. That's less impactful than the, than the upside of like influence and inspiration and, um, modeling. I would say even empathy and compassion as well like you just like you want to be there you want you want to know like hey like what's going on like are you are you okay as basic as that question is and i know it gets asked a lot like are you okay like i'm here to help if you need like you're you're totally right like when there's a i think simon Sinek talks about it in his in his book leaders eat last like when you're operating from this this like level of abstraction where you start thinking about if you're like a VP of sales, for example, and you are several levels removed from a frontline sales manager and their team, 
you're you're going to operate from a level of abstraction and i think it's like a really good example that he uses from the book is it's like how often throughout the throughout the day are we hearing news about thousands of people that are killed or dealing with drought or dealing with these things and it doesn't really impact us because that abstraction exists it's like a statistic to us but if when we are going through those things or we have a close family member when that abstraction doesn't exist and we're dealing with it personally that emotional turmoil and that stress we feel is is huge and i can relate that to like i said that vp of sales that's operating seven several levels up like when you're not close to your team, the frontline sales managers and the teams and understanding and feeling what they're going to, going through on a regular basis. And you're going to start making really bad business decisions that start putting profits over people. And as a result, that actually is going to start impacting your profits because the people won't be able to perform. So you have a duty as a leader, especially way at the top, to go back and start kind of having these conversations so that you're learning what people are facing on a regular basis. Well, I'm laughing because, you know, fuck that. Like you VP sales, like, is it really that hard to remember what it felt like when you were a seller? Or I understand like you want to move through, like, I don't want to sell anymore because, or I want to become a manager real fast so that I don't have to fucking cold call anymore. But like, Come on. I, I don't have a lot of sympathy there to not be able to like remember your own fucking experiences. However, I think there's a bunch of areas where. So I'll, 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 I'll pause you right there mm -hmm. real quick. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll look at that from the example of if I think of a better VP of sales who has, no, I, I get who, it. Jeff. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Like I'm just, I'm looking at the clock here. I get it. And I was a little harsh there, but I also, I spent a lot of time on review and with Ryan Walsh's LinkedIn post. And one of the hardest parts when I switched to sales enablement was seeing how pervasive the thinking was about salespeople, that they are not problem solvers, that they are a line on a, on a balance sheet. And, and I'm chuckling too, even about what you're saying about like profit margins, like how many, how many VPs of sales that, that you know, are responsible for their own P and L? statements, mm -hmm. right? We're not mm -hmm. even looking at the margins. It's just top line revenue. But anyway, I, it is hard to give a shit. Oh, even I'll, I'll take it a step further, Jeff, like the average win rate or excuse me, percentage of reps that hit quota right now for the entire profession, mm -hmm. 52%. Mm -hmm. And that, and Ryan, Ryan Walls actually thinks that that's, that's a low number. And if you're a, a VP and you're looking at your numbers and you have not had the thought that, wow, I wonder what this is doing to the psyche of my team. That's a problem. And so my, yeah, I'm sorry, please continue. Uh, so, so my only comment to that is I've sort of, I, I wanted to, I, I try to lead from a perspective where I try to see the good in people. And if we go back to what we talked about earlier around that default mind, mm -hmm. and if I think about a VP of sales and just people in general who haven't put in the work in to manage that default brain and they're operating from a situation where they're always on guard, their environment changes as they move up the ladder. And it's really terrible to say this, but they're, VPs of sales are likely operating from a state 
of default mind where they're on guard and they are, you know, feeling the pressures from the executive team. They're feeling the pressures to, to, you know, serve shareholders. And I'm not saying that they're nasty people. I'm just saying that when you're in a situation where you feel like you're under threat, even if you are a VP of sales, the first thing that we naturally default to mm-hmm. are bad habits or we become less we, be, we become less empathetic to people because we the perspective naturally shifts on saving ourselves and we start doing things to try and solve the problems even though we know they aren't the right problem like the right solutions in that state of default mind or fight or flight whatever you want to call it it's very very hard to reach out and look for those perspectives and care about others which is exactly what we need to do in those situations so it is a really difficult situation. I think that's kind of like speaking to this, you know, unlearning years and years, decades of poor sales management and poor sales culture so that future leaders understand the importance of this stuff, but also have those inner citadels built when they get to the top, they know how to manage stress effectively so they can actually care about their people when they're there. Hmm. You're right. I know you're right. And this is, I have a bias here, but again, like if I think you have the onus of responsibility, given the harm that's being done by not changing, right? If you don't want to work on your default brain, that's fine. Then don't be a leader. You're actually, you're not a leader, you're a boss, but yeah. Okay. But you're right. I'm, I'm too biased and I got to take it down. So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now that we've got seven minutes left, what is the hardest conversation most uncomfortable conversation that you've ever had to have in like a any kind of revenue context and so this includes boss peer manager um hiring manager uh client buyer prospect hardest conversation yeah that's a that's a good one i i don't know if it was a I don't think it was a, a a conversation that I initiated, but I think sort of, if I think about one of the most challenging conversations I've had just in, in business was probably, I was working for, uh, I was like helping to manage a team at this very small startup sort of early on in my sales career. And it was one of those like companies where we, like everyone was bought in. It was a small team and we were just, you know, bootstrapped the whole way trying to make it work. We were doing things like we're trying to also break into the European market. So myself and other guys were going to the office at like three or four in the morning to get our calls in, like to, to, to tackle the Europe market and working in shifts. Like, like it was one of those like really cool cultures and environments where we were all really bought in, really cared about it. And, it just got to a point where it didn't work and the CEO had to kind of let everyone go and sort of let, let me go. That was like a really, I think, difficult conversation to, to navigate in here because it's like, you're so involved and so engaged and you put so much into it to sort of like hear that you, it's not going to work is was super challenging. So I think that's like a, was a big one. Like I remember like crying before I had to like, I couldn't go into the office. Like it was like, it was like super, super tough. Um, I'm trying to think if there's, there's, no, that's there's, good. A, there's and it's any interesting. others, you know, it's 
like when you are emotionally invested in a mission Mm -hmm. like that and on top of it like you're more inclined to feel because your brain is wired a little differently than the average bear Mm -hmm. that shit is fucking hard Mm -hmm. that shit is hard Mm-hmm. How did you, how long did it, like, what did you, walk me through afterwards, like, what was, how long did it take you to come to terms with that and or learn how to let go after the fact? Yeah, like, I think it was, I think it was one of those situations where I think, I, I don't know the talk, like, we talked about, you know, we haven't really experienced grief. Um, and there's, there's grief there. You're kind of like grieving the loss of like this really great culture, this me- meaningful mission. So it was, it was probably like eight years ago now. I'm trying to think how long it took. I, again, it was, I was so close to everyone that those relations, there's one of those like really unique working places where the majority of those relationships I still have today from kind of like they've lived on past because of how kind of connected yeah, we were. Yeah, that's the, which that's is the good. right there. So what did I you think, really lose? That's what I mean. Like, I think there was when that first kind of when the first kind of band-aid came off it was well i'm really gonna miss this will i ever see these people again but i think afterwards as sort of those conversations those relationships those friendships still continued on it kind of helped speed up that grieving process so it wasn't i think it was a fairly quick turnaround just because like that social bond was really there and 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 maintained think of all the time that we spend fearing being let go, we're fired or whatever. And what I just heard friends is that Jeff, it was really fast on that. So it like it's, it's distorted in our brains ahead of time. And so we, hmm. Yeah. Okay. One piece of advice for our experienced tech seller listeners about uncomfortable conversations. You, you owe it to yourself to learn to have them. And I think a lot of it comes down to like, I, I made a post the other day talking about sort of questions you can ask to avoid a toxic sales environment in the mm-hmm. interview process. Mm-hmm. And they're uncomfortable questions that you can ask, like questions like you ask in the interview process, you know, basic things like you expected to ask emails afterwards. Um, Sarah Levinson has some great ones, ask emails on the weekends. How often are people kind of, working late, but I had more kind of spicier questions around things like, you know, when a sales rep misses their target, the best miss from time to time, how are they treated when they miss? Or if a rep asks for a mental health day and they're behind target, like how would you respond as a leader? Like really challenging questions to see how a leader would react to those situations. And having asking those questions is going to be uncomfortable at first. And I think it's sort of learning how to put your needs first, to make sure that you're avoiding toxic situations and finding environments where you can thrive. Because if that disqualifies you for asking these questions, then good, you avoided a toxic situation. If they're met with like blank stares by the the person you're asking to, then run. Like they're not prepared to have, to, to handle this conversation. So yeah, I think it's sort of the biggest learnings I have is like when you, seek out and embrace discomfort the more you do it the easier you get and the more it starts to become something that you really embrace because you can start to experience and see the learning and growth the learning and growth that you get from it like not only personally but from the people around you so 
Seek Discomfort. It's kind of like the brand of from Yes Theory, a YouTube channel that I love. They, they're all about seek discomfort, and I think it's um, a huge mantra to live by that will totally change your life. It's really interesting when you're, uh, I'm not even going to tell you, but there's, I was raised a certain way. And I'll give you a hint, it's a, it's, it relates to butterflies. Um, it's a story that we touched on really early on in episode one, right? The host in the hot seat, but also it was the one piece of advice that I gave. There was a compilation that Sales Hacker did last year for female leaders in sales or whatever. And I wrote it up in there. Um, but I can, in that moment, Jeff, I, I could see why we're friends. Mm -hmm. And I thank you for that friendship, truly. And yeah. I thank you for being one of my go-tos um, around some really raw and vulnerable things. And I just... Thank you. And mm. I also thank you for coming on the show. Of course. And for playing with me. And, you know, I appreciate that. And to our listeners, truth, love, and joy, friends, happy selling. Ooh. Man, that was heavy. But necessary, you know, important, important stuff being thrown around. Virtues that we as humans can build a sturdy foundation on. I heard words like trust. I heard words like action. I heard words like consistency. And uh, I think this is important. But I, I also live in the real world, right? Where I trust that the action Amy didn't take was to consistently feed the dog or file her legal disclaimer paperwork from all the unnecessary risks she takes on a weekly basis. Karen is gonna be pissed. Karen! All right, friends. The only way this works as a hotline is if we find some people to come play. Anybody who's interested or brave enough or desperate enough, because let's be serious, that's where it's at. Everything you need to know is in the show notes. Yeah, call, absolutely. Call in. Don't have enough to do? You want a couple of books to read? Maybe we can boss you around for a couple hours? Yeah, please. By all means, call. If you like what you're hearing or are excited for this shit show and where it's going to go, definitely follow us on whatever podcast device is your preference, even though I, I seriously have a hard time identifying with anything non-Spotify, but, you know, I guess I'll come to terms with that. If you find any value in things that we're talking about, do tell a friend. I consider that the highest honor. Of course, there's always the public review of any kind, although part of me thinks that I should not ask that until we're out of beta. Just a note for sponsors from Karen and Pete down in Legal. We are anxious to receive your call. And if you are looking to help or join the cause or create change in a positive way, Please reach out to anyone but me because I have enough to do. And Amy will definitely be interested in taking your money to help more people, which is what we do here. You know, stuff. Legal stuff. You know, it's pretty crazy. I still can't believe people listen to shit I say. Yeah, like there, there's certainly a kernel of truth somewhere in there, but you know, it's, it's just, it's wrapped up in a story. Order the dog food, Amy. Order it. Chewy.com. Possible sponsor. Lola, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. Here, take some pets. Come come sit up on my lap. 
I don't know about you listeners, but I enjoy my podcast on Stitcher. I mean, I don't have a premium account because I'm holding out for sponsorship. Hey, Stitcher, looking at you. Also, I believe we mentioned Chewy, so there will be a link to them in the show notes, even though we are not sponsored by them, and I bought my dog food at Target this week because it was on sale and I saved on shipping. All right, friends. Thank you for listening to the conversation. For more ridiculousness, check out the extended cut of the outro. And that's a wrap. I can't. I can't. I can't. So... This is Pete, your disclaimer specialist, coming to you at the super secret disclaimer portion of the show because this is a pod about transparency and difficult conversations. And with everyone being so open and honest, um, I must be. So here goes. Um, as the outroer to the outroe, I'm sorry. I apologize. You know, I, I misled you intentionally. As your attorney, I must confess that I am not a fucking attorney. Um, I have not passed the bar exam in the state in which I live. I uh, have never represented anyone well in anything, let alone in a court of law. Um, But again, these are difficult conversations that Amy's having with with her guests, and, and I lied. And I should tell you that. I should be open and honest because, you know, we have been. So... We can all be better. We can all do better together. And now I'm just rambling at this point. It's just, who cares? It's an outro, right? Like, this is just going to fade into blackness like the Mars rover. Maybe a little bit less sad. That was fucking sad. Oh, let's not be that sad. Come on, guys. We can do better.